please um, open up your, your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. So Leviticus chapter 16, starting at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for him, for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. 
The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Oh God, our Father, uh, we want to thank you that uh, in the Bible we have your word to us. Uh, and Father, we thank you for these past few weeks as we've taken these uh, just obscure parts of your word, parts that feel so remote from us, and yet we have seen how much they point us towards Jesus and give us a renewed sense of appreciation for all that he has done for us. And Father, we pray that that will be our, our experience today. Father, we pray that you'll teach us of your cleansing, uh, your cleansing of our guilty conscience uh, so that we can walk away from here confident of your mercy and your forgiveness uh, that we have been washed through the Lord Jesus and that we stand holy before you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I mentioned uh, guilt in my prayer there. Uh, and I wonder, do you, do you feel guilty ever? Um, you know, that feeling, I've done the wrong thing, and, and there's just that gnawing, sickening sense, you know, feeling, maybe a bit of sleeplessness. Uh, maybe it's you haven't lived up to your own expectations. Maybe you know you've hurt someone and you just don't know what you can do about it. Uh, maybe it, it's a feeling of uncleanness for you. Um, how often do you feel guilty? Um, can you quantify how often? Um, just take a moment just to, to consider that. How often would you say you, you feel guilty? Because it's interesting, your answer to that question will almost certainly be different if you're a man or a woman. Um, and I'm not saying one's more guilty than the other, uh, but there was some uh, quite extensive uh, research done into feelings of guilt about three years ago. And one of the key findings was that women feel far more guilty, far more often than men. And I guess if I had have thought about it, I probably, you know, would have worked it out that that was true. But it, it really impacted me uh, emotionally as I considered it. Uh, let me tell you a couple of statistics. 96% of women feel guilty at least once a day. 50% of women feel guilty at least four times a day. Uh, so the vast majority of women feel guilty most of the time. Uh, and I reckon that's just really sad. And I want to say to my sisters here, I'm really sorry that that is the case. Uh, and I'm sorry that us men are just so, you know, have got such hopeless consciences that we don't feel as guilty as we should. Uh, and we allow you to carry around far more of a burden of guilt uh, than we are even aware of. Um, uh, I reckon that must, it must be awful to go through life with these nagging feelings of guilt. Um, now, how does guilt impact you? Uh, is it that sick feeling in your stomach? 
Does it keep you awake at night? Um, some, sometimes people get angry uh, with guilt or paralysed or depressed. Uh, and what triggers guilt feelings for you? Because uh, there's a whole range of things, aren't there? Uh, you know, there's things where we clearly know we've done the wrong thing, where we know we've committed a sin or disobeyed God. Uh, but sometimes it's something as simple as, you know, I left home without cleaning the kitchen or I ate more food than I had intended to today uh, or I, I said no to someone and I like to please people and I don't like people feeling bad about me. Um, did you know... Um, as I, as I sort of uh, looked around and researched on this topic, there is one thing above everything else that is a cause for guilt in modern society. Can anyone guess what it might be? Major cause of guilt. Major trigger for guilt. I haven't mentioned it yet. Not, not truthfulness. It possibly should be. It's children, children. Um, for, so for women especially, feelings of guilt skyrocket on becoming a mother. And you think, oh, that, that's something that they don't tell you before you have kids, do they? Um, but they call it mummy guilt. And it's interesting, I looked up into, in Google feelings of guilt and the, almost the top ten responses were about guilt that mothers feel or guilt that working mothers feel, um, that nagging feeling of not giving the kids the time, the love, the care that, that you'd like to or that you feel that they deserve. Uh, and so parents, and especially mums, just carry those feelings of guilt around. All right, so... Now, I'm just setting up the topic for today, all right? Uh, and the question is, how do you deal with guilt? See, that's the question we're going to wrestle with today. And my prayer is that, <clears throat> my prayer is that you will feel liberated uh, and that you will be liberated as you walk out of here today. Um, but people deal with guilt in different ways. So I read a Reader's Digest um, article on this. It's actually part of a book called... Stealth Health, uh, that came out a few years ago. And, and they came up with some, some tips for enjoying a cleaner conscience. And let me read out uh, some of what they are. Firstly, commit to saying no at least once a day, no guilt allowed. Right? So if you get used to saying no, then you won't feel as guilty about it. Secondly, recall all the healthful benefits of some of the most guilt-inducing foods. Right? So instead of, instead of thinking chocolate as a guilt food, think of chocolate as, you know, it's good antioxidants or whatever it is. Think of something. It's a vegetable. Okay, and I need my vegetables. Five food groups. Okay. So you can, you can do the work on this, but I'm just giving you the tips. Um, number three, write a check to an aid agency. Uh, and, and that is, you know, you might be feeling guilt over self-centeredness, so here's a way of sort of counterbalancing that. Fourthly, make a sign that proclaims, I deserve this, and hang it above your desk. 
I don't know what you deserve, but just, I deserve this. Number five, accept some selfishness. Right? You feel guilty about selfishness, just get over it. Just, just accept that you're selfish. Number six, set a no guilt allowed rule whenever you do something just for yourself. Uh, number seven, above all else, learn to forgive yourself. Okay, and, so, and, and I won't read the whole article or go into too much detail. Um, and I, I reckon there is some wisdom. I don't want to caricature the article too much. There is some wisdom in it. But on the whole, it highlights a couple of things. One is our society no longer understands real guilt. Um, the, the, there is a category called real guilt uh, as defined by our creator that our society has no knowledge of anymore and it's just becoming like a distant memory. And secondly, because our society no longer understands real guilt, we no longer understand how to deal with guilt and in particular how to deal with real guilt. So let me um, just show you um, on another slide here. So you've just go to the next slide there. Blank screen. Um, <clears throat> and we all know about guilt feelings, right? Guilt feelings, are, 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 when we do things, it feels like they leave a stain on our conscience. So let's just have a look there. So, you know, we do things uh, or things happen in our lives and it feels like they leave a stain and that's sort of guilt feelings. Um, uh but real guilt looks more like this. It's actually a different circle. And I want, you to know, I want you to notice a couple of things there. Sometimes we feel guilty about things that are not actually in the category of real guilt. Can you see that on the left-hand side? Let me give you some examples. Um, eating chocolate. Right? Um, arriving late. Having a messy kitchen. Sometimes, sometimes we feel more acutely guilty about those things that are not actually sinful. Uh, they're just becoming, uh, I suppose they're just part of our feeling about our self-reputation and so on. But sometimes we don't feel guilty about stuff in here that we really should feel guilty about, like lying or gossip or bullying or disobeying God. Uh, sometimes we just do those things with a completely clear conscience, but we should actually feel guilty about them. <clears throat> now, the great news today is that God wants to wipe it all clean. Uh, so God wants to take all your guilt away. Now, how good does that sound? Uh, you know, when you're actually honest and you consider the guilt that you live with, to think that God could wash it all clean, it's just fantastic, isn't it? And that's what the Day of Atonement is all about. So come with me to Leviticus chapter 16. <clears throat> the Day of Atonement, Jewish people call it Yom Kippur, uh, but it just means the Day of Atonement. Now, as we've been working through this Old Testament book of Leviticus, if you're here with us for the first you know, time today, you're in for a treat. You know, we've been... We've been five weeks in this book of Leviticus, and we've loved it, haven't we, people? Have you loved it? Yeah, it's been great. Um, now, one of the key ideas that's come up regularly 
is, I am a sinner, God is holy, I deserve to die. Just so many different aspects of things that happen in Leviticus. Now, we love that, don't we? No, no, we don't love that information, although it's helpful for us to take on board. Um, so, I am a sinner, God is holy, I deserve to die. Um, when, when, when a sinful person comes into contact with the holy God, uh, it is a scary thing. And so last week, uh, we saw how sin makes us unclean before the holy God. And so you like these stains, uh, staining us before the holy God. Um, <clears throat> and I reckon the picture we get is not just that sin stains us, but that sin is contagious. Sin is like a virus. And I wonder where, uh, you know, I don't know when we started understanding more about viruses, but I wonder if uh, they would, you know, the Bible writers, God would have chosen the virus-type language in describing sin. Um, because you think about a deadly and aggressive virus. What do you do when someone has a deadly, aggressive virus? First thing, quarantine them. Because the fear is that they might pass it on to me or to you or to someone else and it could spread. So the first thing we've got to do is quarantine them and anything they have touched is also quarantined. You know, we, we, we just don't want the contamination to spread. Um, or you think about a hospital. A hospital is meant to be a hygienic place. And, and the desire is, like, even though sick people are going to hospital, you want to make it as, as disease-free as possible. <clears throat> and so there are some parts of the hospital where you have to do special cleansing before you enter. You know, some wards in the hospital you actually have to wash, uh, maybe put a face, you know, one of those face masks on. If you actually go into an operating theatre... There's a long ritual of washing and scrubbing that you have to do and then you put your, the gloves on and the surgical kit and the special shoes and so on because the last thing you want to do is, is take a virus with you into that protected environment and even once you step in there, having gone through the scrubbing and the washing, there's still that, there's still that anxiety that maybe I am still carrying a virus and I need to just be so careful. Now, the book of Leviticus teaches that sin is like that, like a virus. It makes a person unclean and that uncleanness can spread like a virus. And so we saw last week for the Israelites, some things that feel quite random are unclean for them. So certain types of food like shellfish and pork were unclean. Uh, and as Pete helped us wrestle with that passage last week, uh, we realised it's not because there was anything inherently wrong with the pork or the shellfish, but what it was, it was a tool for helping them understand sin and spiritual uncleanness. Uh, but for us Christians, uh, those laws do not apply any longer. You know, the clean and unclean food laws don't apply to us, but the, the underlying message of sin and its defiling impact still applies to us very much so. Now, in the book of Leviticus, one of the main ways that contamination <coughs> and the stain of sin is dealt with 
was through the sacrifices made at the tent of meeting. So let's um, have a look at the tent of meeting. And here you have, uh, next slide, is an Israelite man bringing his sacrificial bull uh, to the tent of meeting. <clears throat> but notice the Israelite man is stained with sin. He's unclean. And so he's coming to have his uncleanness washed away. And the way he does it, he, he brings his bull, lays his hands on the bull, and it's like his uncleanness, his sin is being transferred onto this bull. The bull is then slaughtered and its blood is splattered around and it brings him cleansing. In a sense, the bull dies in his place uh, as the penalty for his sin. But the problem with this whole thing was that over time the contamination spread so that the parts within the tent of meeting started to become unclean. So the altar for sacrifices was becoming unclean. It had to be cleansed. Um, The priests themselves were stained with sin. They were unclean. They needed to be cleansed. Uh, The holy place, the place when when you're getting closer to God's presence, it had become unclean. And worst of all, the most holy place, that place right in the heart of the tent of meeting, the place where that represented God's presence amongst his people, the place where no one was allowed to enter. There was no human contact with the tent, you know, with the holy most holy place, and yet it too was becoming contaminated by uncleanness and sin. Have a look at chapter 15, verse 31. Chapter 15, verse 31. You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. You see the concern there? That... As the Israelites become unclean, they defile God's dwelling place. And that is a massive problem because there is no sacrifice that actually provides cleansing for the most holy place. And so here you've got the holy God coming to meet a sinful people and the people needing to be cleansed. But that place that represents the presence of God most acutely, it it has become defiled and there is no means of cleansing it. And so what hope is there for the people? Well, this is where the Day of Atonement came in. This is what the Day of Atonement was all about, cleansing the stuff that couldn't be cleansed through the other sacrifices. Now, I won't go into all the details again. Uh, You heard it read out by Jane just a little earlier. But the high priest would offer a bull for his own sin and the sin of his household to bring him cleansing. And then he'd take the blood of the bull, he'd splatter it around the holy place, uh, and as he did, it would bring him cleansing and his household cleansing from their uncleanness, from their sin. And then the high priest comes out, sorry, Then what he does is he takes some of the blood 
into the most holy place. But notice he goes in with fire and incense, right? So he's got this censer, you know, this cage of burning coals and incense. And he steps into the most holy place, basically engulfed in this cloud, because he doesn't want to look on the holy things of God. You know, a sinful person looking on the holy things of God. So it's covered in a cloud, but he takes the blood of the bull in and he splashes it on, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, the things in the most holy place. And by doing that, he brings cleansing from defilement and sin. It's so foreign to our thinking, isn't it? Because we think once you've chucked blood around, it's now bloody, you know, and it's now got this congealed blood sort of on it. And, but the whole imagery of Leviticus is that the blood is what cleanses from defilement and sin. <clears throat> and then the uh, high priest comes out uh, and slaughters a goat as a sin offering. This time it's not for his own sin, but for the sin of the people. And again, he goes into the most holy place and sprinkles. So we're one slide too, too far advanced there. So he goes back into the most holy place. Verse 16, in this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is amongst them in the midst of their uncleanness. So he goes and goes into the holy, most holy place again. Then he steps back out. He goes through that same ritual in the most holy place. It's sort of like he's going into the center and now working his way out, bringing cleansing to the most holy place. I think we can do that now. Uh, so again, sprinkling the blood seven times on the most holy place. <clears throat> Verse 19 he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. So the bull and the goat are sin offerings for Aaron, for his family and for the whole nation. Uh, and the specific goal is to cleanse the tent of meeting from impurity. But then Aaron takes a second goat uh, and a couple of years ago, I did my own Day of Atonement reenactment. So I, I got to bring the photos out again for you. But I went to a um, goat farm at Gillaby. <clears throat> uh, and so what you do on the Day of Atonement is select two goats. Right? So the first goat, we've seen what happened to that. Oh, here I am chasing after the goats. Um, the first goat uh, was a sin offering. So you lay your hands on it representing the sin of the people being transferred onto the goat. And then the goat is slaughtered. Watch this. This is high CGI effects here. <clears throat> okay. Um, so, so the goat is slaughtered uh, and its blood is poured, drained out and its blood brings cleansing uh, for the impurity in the holy place. The second goat is known as the scapegoat. So pick it up from verse 20. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. Verse 21, he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. 
all their sins. <clears throat> he is to put them on the goat's head and then he shall send the goat away into the wilderness. Here is my attempt. Uh, the goat wasn't very compliant with me and what, what he was meant to do is actually have someone who would lead the goat away. So that was my mistake. I didn't have a, an assistant. Uh, but... See, see what it says? He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. See, this... this excuse my poor attempt there, but this was a loaded goat. Uh, when, when, I, um, when I... Have you heard of that story the loaded dog i won't go into it right now but it's basically this it's a great australian story about this dog who's carrying a, basically a bomb around and keeps coming back to his masters and i and as i as i've been doing this passage this week the thought of the of the goat returning back into the camp just imagine how tragic that would be because what the goat has done is he's being laden with all the sins of the nation and then he's meant to take them far, far away. Imagine if a few days later the goat turns up and you just go, oh, our, our sin has come back to us. And so you get this you know, authorised person to take the goat away. And in some of the traditions, they actually make sure you know, they throw it off the edge of a cliff or something like that because the last thing you want to happen is for the goat to bring the sin back into the camp. <clears throat> so let me ask you a question. The Day of Atonement, do you think the Day of Atonement would have been a joyous day or a sombre day? Do you think it would have been a day you look forward to with joy or it was a a solemn, sombre day? Now, you don't have to answer that. Just think about it. Uh, I asked the question because I was talking to a friend this week, uh, a Jewish man. I didn't even know until this week that he was Jewish. Um, but uh, we were just chatting away and I was telling him about how the sermon this week at church was going to be on the Day of Atonement. Uh, And I said, you know about the Day of Atonement, don't you? Yom Kippur. And he said, of course. You know, I grew up as a Jewish boy. Uh, And so every year, just, you know, as it says here, it was a lasting ordinance. Every year you would have this Day of Atonement. They don't have the, the temple or the tabernacle anymore, but they still you know, remember this day of atonement. Uh, And he said, but it was always such a depressing day. It was always a day when we felt incredibly guilty. And so his memories of the day of atonement were very somber and depressing and guilt-ridden. And I said to him, I said to him, I can understand that, but it, but it's all about your guilt being taken away. Uh, And that just hadn't been his experience of the Day of Atonement. Uh, And so I said, well, you've got to come along to church. Uh, Come along and join it. And so maybe he'll come at one of the services. Are you out there? Uh, No. Uh, So, because yes, it was a confronting day. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the Day of Atonement, you realise the problem of sin and guilt and uncleanness is far bigger. It's far more profound problem than, than we realise. We trivialise sin. But the Day of Atonement didn't allow you to trivialise sin. 
it was very much in your face just how, how problematic sin was. Sin is deadly. It is a deadly virus that must be stopped. But God offers this solution. The cleansing blood of the bull and the goat, cleansing even into the most holy place, and the scapegoat. You know, and, and you come with the scapegoat and the priest would lay his hands and conf- imagine for us, you know, the, the priest would confess all our self-centeredness, all our disobedience to God, you know, all our heart, hard-heartedness, and it would all be placed upon this goat. And then you watch the goat as it's led out from the midst of the tent of meeting, out through the camp, you know, and the whole community would just be standing, watching, and then you watch it disappear, you know, over the hill, out of sight. There would be a sense of massive relief. You think, our sins have been taken away, and, and, and you're confident that even once it's disappeared over the hill, it will keep going far, far away. Um, I reckon when... King David wrote Psalm 103. You know Psalm 103, praise the Lord my soul and bless his holy name. And it says um, how great his love, uh, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great his love for us. And then it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has taken our sins away. I reckon when David wrote that psalm, he was reflecting on the Day of Atonement. Uh, he was reflecting on the idea that God has taken our sins far, far away, as far as the east is from the west. So far he has taken our sins away. Now the Day of Atonement was a picture of God utterly removing sin and guilt from his people. But we Christians, what does it mean for us Christians? We Christians have an even better Day of Atonement. And it was hinted at in the Old Testament. So Moses was there 1500 BC, the first instructions for the Day of Atonement. About 800 years later, the prophet Isaiah spoke of a scapegoat. Uh, and, And the sins of the people would be upon this scapegoat. But the scapegoat was not an animal. It was a man. Uh, We know him as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And the language echoes the scapegoat language um, where it talks about, you know, uh, the Lord has placed on him the iniquity of us all. You know, surely he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. It's the whole idea of, the punishment that we deserve and and, and the guilt is being placed on this man and he will remove it from our midst. Um, And hundreds of years later, when Jesus carried his cross from the centre of Jerusalem outside the city gates, uh, it was like the scapegoat had finally come. The man who would do what the goat really couldn't ever do, the man who would carry all our sin far, far away. And then when Jesus died on that cross, 
and his blood is shed and he breathes his last, the curtain is torn in two. And that curtain was the curtain separating the most holy place from the people, dividing the, bar- the last barrier between the presence of God and his feet. It's torn in two uh, because now we have access into the most holy place through the blood of Jesus shed to bring us cleansing, uh, to bring us complete forgiveness so that we are holy in God's sight. The perfect priest offering the perfect sacrifice of his own body once for all so that we are completely clean. Jesus' death on the cross is our day of atonement. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. Flick over to Hebrews. I know if you're in growth groups, you've been looking at Hebrews regularly. Uh, and that is great because it's all a reflection on Leviticus and especially on the Day of Atonement. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? See, that, see, see how once you get to the New Testament, you realize it's not all that external cleansing that's the issue. It's the cleansing of our hearts and our conscience. It's, it's cleansing the defiling effects of sin before a holy God. And Jesus does it completely. Uh, Or Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, just over the page. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. No one can enter the most holy place except the high priest and only on one day a year. But now access has been opened up. We can come into the presence of the holy God. Verse 20, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is Jesus' body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It's just such a beautiful picture of real, genuine cleansing, removal of our guilt that comes through Jesus. See, at the start, I I talked about feelings of guilt and real guilt. Uh, And I talked about the difference between our guilt feelings and real guilt uh, in the sight of God, real sin. Jesus came to wash it all away to cleanse us completely. Uh, He did it through his blood shed on the cross so that we are now spotless before God. But I want to recognize that sometimes the guilty feelings plague us. Sometimes the feelings return uh, and they nag away at us. Uh, What are we meant to do when that happens? What we need to do is remember that Jesus' blood cleanses us completely. 
So even though I don't feel clean, I need to trust God's promise that Jesus has brought that cleansing. We need to remember that Jesus bore all our iniquities. He carried all our guilt and he removed it far, far away. So when we feel guilty, we come to God in prayer, knowing that Jesus is our high priest, the perfect high priest. He has offered his own blood. He has made, he has removed all our defilement and he's opened up access for sinful people like us to come into the presence of the holy God. So what we do when we feel guilty is we come before God, confess our sin, knowing that we are cleansed, uh, knowing that Jesus' blood washes us completely clean from every stain. And when the feelings come, we just return again to Christ and remember that he has done it all. He has washed us whiter than the snow. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Will you pray with me? Oh, God, our Father, we want to confess to you once again that, that we live amongst an unclean people, that we ourselves are unclean in and of ourselves. Uh, Father, if we were to stand before you on our own merits, uh, we would be deeply defiled, deeply ashamed. We could not stand. And yet, Father, we thank you that you have provided a way for our guilt to be removed, for our guilt to be washed clean, for our sins to be carried far, far away. Because, Father, you sent Jesus as the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement. His blood cleanses every sin. Uh, he is the one who has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. And so, Father, please give us faith in Jesus. Help us to trust him. And especially when, when the guilt feelings come and when they plague us and when Satan uh, puts our sin in our face and just makes us feel unworthy yet again. Father, we pray that we will just learn to remember Jesus and to trust him, and to trust your promise that there is complete cleansing, to trust your promise that there is mercy for sinners that come before you and confess. There is complete cleansing. And so, Father, we just pray that you'll teach us to turn again and again and again to you, trusting in your mercy and your forgiveness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now what we're going to do...